Are we born with honor? Or do we earn it? In America's Navy, honor is raised with the flag at 0800. It's found swimming five and a half miles through Pacific swells or bearing the weight of an 80-pound bomb suit. And when the salt of our sweat matches the salt of the sea, the sea forges honor in every sailor. America's Navy, forged by the sea. Earn your honor at Navy.com. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Born to Talk radio show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. <clears throat> My show formula is, is easy. Conversations plus connections equals community. I've found through my conversations and connections that we all share a sense of community. It might be where you live, or perhaps it's a sense of fellowship with others, sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. The natural progression of community to me is a sense of belonging, resulting in relationships and storytelling. And that's where my curiosity takes shape, and I ask the question, what's your story? We all have them, and it's my opportunity to share those passions with you each week. Today, my guests are from the St. Vincent de Paul of Los Angeles, and I have three guests today. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to David Fields. He's the executive directory. Oh, gosh, he's this, uh, you can tell, right? I've been away for one week, now I can't talk. Is the executive director for the Society of the St. Vincent de Paul Council of Los Angeles, serving Los Angeles, Ventura, and Santa Barbara counties. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you for having us. I, I, it's my pleasure. I'd like to introduce you now to Ray Sweet. He is the board president for the Society of St. Vincent de Paul Council, Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you, Marcia. It's great to be with you and share our story with you and your audience. Terrific. And last but certainly not least is my friend Chris Seriego. He is the Director of Public Relations and Marketing for the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, the Council of Los Angeles. And Chris, really, thank you for all your efforts. I really am happy that you're joining with me today. Thank you very much, Marcia. Happy to be here. Terrific. Let's start off a little bit about letting our listeners know about yourselves. And I thought we would start with you, David. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you became involved with St. Vincent de Paul? Well, I I started uh, my career early as a teacher and realized that teaching could not pay the bill. So I I transitioned over to Xerox Corporation. I, I worked for them for 25 years. It didn't necessarily satisfy that humanitarian um, uh, edge that I wanted to provide and to be able to help people. So I became involved with the Society of St. Vincent Paul as a volunteer 25 years ago. I worked during the evening for St. Vincent Paul and worked during the day for Xerox. And I'm still a volunteer with the Society of St. Vincent Paul at one of our local conferences of charity in Altadena, California. And for the last 10 years, nine years, actually, I have been executive director. So I've been a, I've been involved over 25 years as a volunteer executive director for the last nine years. Tremendous. God, that's awesome. Ray, tell us a little bit about your, your, your background and how you became involved with St. Vincent de Paul. Okay. Uh, my uh, background is uh, 
been a, a lifelong Catholic, and uh, in recent years I uh, uh, taught uh, what we call RCIA, or the Rite of Christian Initiation, uh, for adults who are interested in uh, joining the faith. That was a very rewarding experience, but uh, my professional career was uh, has been in the executive search business, but I was aware of St. Vincent de Palm Society most of my life, but uh, what really got me involved about six years ago was a friend of mine who was on the board, who was his term was up, and uh, he recommended me to uh, be his replacement, and I got voted onto the board, and uh, I immediately took the what we call the Vincentian training. Those of volunteers are the St. Vincent de Paul Society are, are called uh, Vincentians. So we, I took the training and I actually started a, a conference of charity. You'll hear more about those in, in the further along the line here in this discussion. But I started a conference in the, the parish, in my home parish. And uh, at that point, uh, shortly after that, I was the elected uh, treasurer and chair of the finance committee, a post that I held on the, with the society for about three years. And then in September of 2016, uh, they elected me president of the board. And uh, I've been at that ever since and uh, enjoying it and loving the, the work that we do for God's poor. That's tremendous. How long is a term when you're president? Is, is, there, is there a term for your office? Three years. Three years it. and a three-noble right. one, or a total of six okay. years. Okie doke. Very good. And, Chris, um, let's hear a little bit about your background and in, in involvement. Certainly. So also lifelong Catholic, member of the Catholic Club, uh, Carmelite educated like David Field. I think it helped bringing that up in my job interview with him. <laughs> so I came on board with the Society St. Vincent de Paul six years ago. Uh, before that, I had worked as a newspaper journalist, magazine journalist. I worked in news production, worked for PBS for six years as a writer, producer, director of documentaries. And I, that was back east. Came out to L.A. with the dubious notion of going into show business, sold a romantic comedy, and spent a number of years as a member of the Writers Guild, uh, writing screenplays in Hollywood, something that uh, is much more glamorous in theory than in practice. And in 2008, I went through the Writers Guild strike with a wife and three kids to support, and at that point, I decided... I was done with show business, and I was going into public relations. And I worked in organ and tissue donation, public relations, communications, and marketing before I came to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And I love working for St. Vincent de Paul. I love telling the stories of our wonderful volunteers who make the world a dramatically better place for the poor and the homeless. Well, you all have really um, inspiring stories, and... Uh, I know that I personally have my own relationship with St. Vincent de Paul. I, I know we'll be talking about some of the ways that you raise funds and we'll be talking about your, your thrift shops. But I know that for myself, when after my parents passed and we were breaking down their house, you are who we called 
and they came and just helped us really unload a whole garage of materials that my father had collected for many, many years. So um, I know personally I have um, been involved in that regard. I thought maybe, David, we could start off by just some education here. First of all, I've I've never understood. I didn't know that society was part of St. Vincent de Paul. And perhaps you can just tell us about the beginnings and the foundings of when it started in Paris. I'd love to hear about the history of this organization. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, your donation with your family, Marcia. <laughs> and I, sometimes I know that that's very difficult, especially when someone – uh, there's a loss of a loved one involved, so we appreciate your generosity. Uh, the society was founded in 1833 in Paris, France, uh, by a young college student. His name was Frederick Ozanam. And I always use the point of reference of the book, the play, the movie Les Mis, uh, which was, was right around the same time uh, that, that the society was founded in Paris. There was a lot of poverty in the streets of Paris at the time, uh, it was, you know, post-industrial revolution. Society was in a state of turmoil. And Frederick Ozanon was a college student, and he was challenged by some of his friends to see what can you do to make a difference. And what him and his friends would do would actually go into the homes of people that were suffering and meet with them to figure out what they could do to help. Frederick is also good at working with the people that had the means, the nobles and the wealthy, to help bring money to the table that could help them help the less fortunate. So that's how the society started uh, in 1833. So during the 1600s, St. Vincent de Paul lived. Uh, he was a priest. And so it was the same things going on in Paris in, in, 16, in the 1600s. So they picked, uh, he decided to pick, Frederick decided to pick St. Vincent de Paul as the patron saint of the society. So since, uh, so hence the name, Society of St. Vincent de Paul. From 18, so from the 1600s to the 1800s, 1833, the society spread to, to, um, to the United States in 1835 and St. Louis. So we're still oh. part of that structure. We have an international, international office in Paris, France. Our national office is in St. Louis, and most major cities have a council such as the Los Angeles Council. So we're, we've got a pretty broad reach in 150 countries with uh, with uh, over a million volunteers. That's really interesting. So to understand the glossary for those of us that are understanding the structure, so you're all St. Vincent de Paul. You're all part of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, but within that you have councils, and that recognizes you by geographically where you're located. Is that right? Very well put. So you, it's, it would almost be like a corporate structure. Bad analogy, but you can see a corporate structure with the international headquarters in uh, in Paris, France, the national headquarters here in the United States, in St. Louis, and then you've got the local, <laughs> the local entities yes. that are in ma- each major city. And then below that, uh, below that council, you have – what we call conferences of charity that are boots on the ground that are helping people in their local community. So there's a, there's a corporate structure there, but it's different from a corporate sure. structure because we've been using this word Vincentian, which is about helping the poor and fulfilling God's wishes. 
Well, I think another really, really important, and I know that this would come up anyway, but it just I just think of it now to say this. Um, clearly, we'll be talking about the relationship with the Archdiocese, but your organization does not only help Catholic people. You do not distinguish religion in your in your um, methods of helping many, many, many people. Am I correct about that? Correct. I mean, we do not discriminate on anyone based on national origin, race, gender, uh, sexual persuasion. We look at all of God's children as being equal, and we help anyone that we can support. Now, we'll talk about some of our programs later, but our Cardinal Manning Center on Skid Row, 65 homeless men, most of those men are not Catholic. Uh, Most of the men that come in for drop-in services are not Catholic. Many of the kids that go to our Circle V Ranch Camp, in Santa Barbara are not Catholic. So we believe in the golden rule, regardless of what religion you belong to, love God, love yourself, and love your neighbor. Sounds terrific. So so to understand, so in 1833 it started, and then only two years later it moved over to St. Louis, where it still remains as your as your United States headquarters. Is, is that correct? And then, it was, it was um, a, and, yes. Okay, so when did the Los Angeles, what's the history behind the Los Angeles Council? When did Los Angeles actually start? Did you tell me that and I just missed it? No, no, I did not. I did not. We, we, were, okay. uh, we were founded in 1908 here in Los wow. Angeles. So we've, we've been here over 100 years and uh, have grown into a very formidable entity here in Los Angeles. We, and, and just to clarify, we support Los Angeles. Ventura and Santa Barbara County. So we have a very broad, we have a very broad, very broad reach. We overlap the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, uh, which is the largest archdiocese in um, in the United States. So we've got we have a very broad reach, the number of people that we touch, and the number of programs that we support. Isn't that that's phenomenal, Ray? Maybe you could share with our audience what exactly does the council do? Because I know. Um, it's a total volunteer force, and having worked in a lot of arenas with volunteers, I understand the the, the positives of having people with passions um, sharing those passions in council. So um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what your council in Los Angeles, and I recognize, I appreciate you saying, um, David, that you are not just in Los Angeles, but also um, in uh, Santa Barbara and Ventura as well. So what what does the council do? Well, if uh, I may elaborate a little bit on that subject, uh, most of the councils uh, around the country, which are usually dioceses or archdioceses of the Catholic Church, uh, have uh, thrift stores. We have two, one at our headquarters in Lincoln Heights and also one in Long Beach. And uh, we depend... uh, on people like you for the donations that uh, come our way. And uh, we also depend on the good people who come to shop there at our stores to uh, uh, raise the money that it takes to, to uh, run the programs that we administer. Uh, David mentioned the Cardinal Manning Center on Skid Row. We have 65 beds that uh, are usually occupied every night by homeless uh, men that uh, we are there to help. And uh, we help them not only in 
in uh, providing a, a roof over their heads, but uh, we feed them, and uh, we also uh, try to provide uh, the best quality uh, care we can in terms of social services, transitioning these uh, these men into permanent housing uh, to help alleviate in a small way uh, the uh, uh, problem of homelessness in, in particularly mm-hmm. Los Angeles, which is uh, the homeless capital of the country, if you, if you might not know that. but uh, I do. Uh, very, very difficult to uh, address that problem, but we're doing what we can. And uh, so that is one of our major pro- uh, programs that, that uh, uh, we, we administer. Uh, we have social workers there, and uh, we, we do what we can in that regard. Uh, the other thing that uh, was alluded to was the, what we call conferences of charity. Now, we have 244, uh, excuse me, 288 uh, parishes in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, extending from L.A. up to Santa Barbara, and uh, we are in about half of those. We're trying to get uh, more volunteers in, in various parishes in these in, throughout the Archdiocese, but we have uh, currently nearly 2,500 volunteers in these different parishes that uh, we service. Now, what they do is the the uh, boots on the ground, if you will, type work where they mm-hmm. will get a request uh, from somebody who comes to the church or uh, is looking for uh, some sort of aid, uh, whether it be to help with the rent because of, a, of some particular problem that's come up or so you can't handle their utility bill or phone bill, whatever it might be. And uh, we go out and visit with them, find out what their problems are on a, on a face-to-face basis. And uh, then we do the best we can to uh, meet their needs uh, at the time. It's not something that uh, we, we do this, the same thing to, say, to the same people every month. We, we don't want to uh, be a crutch for them. We try to get them back on their feet and, and we have a particular program that, where we train them in financial literacy and how to, to manage their budget and so forth and, and get people uh, to really turn their lives around. And that's one of the things that we're, that's, that's shall we say, the fundamental uh, premise sure. for the whole society. And uh, that's what... Let me... Uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I was just going to no, say... No, finish your thought. I'm Fred, sorry. Frederick... Frederick Ozanam back in Paris, that's what his uh, plan was, that you go out and meet with people face-to-face, find out what their needs are, and try to address them. Within the different councils across the country, when you mentioned the conferences of charity, are those all specific to the regions? Do, are the conferences of charity different from council to council to council? Pretty much the same. Uh, they all operate on the same basis, where where we meet with people in their homes and and uh, uh, try to to find out what their needs are. Uh, they also help with homeless. We've got uh, food pantries in many of these uh, conferences, and um, that that's the main function of uh, of the society. But we have fundraisers, we have events, uh, we give away. Uh, 
turkeys and whole meals at, uh, for thousands, hundreds of not thousands of people uh, at Thanksgiving and Christmas time. And uh, we're really uh, a, a, an organization that is on the on the move when it comes to helping uh, the homeless and the, the poor of all kinds. You know, what what's occurring to me as you're saying this, because I, I also work with an organization on homelessness, and, and you're right, there, what was the count last with like 58,000 homeless people just in the Los right. Angeles County area alone. So one of the reasons that our our population of homeless is so large has to do with the fact that our weather is more tolerable than being okay. in New York or places, or Colorado, or someplace where you've got snow that's going to keep you freezing. So I, I probably would imagine that, depending upon sometimes the specific requirements of these different councils, you know, uh, uh, shoveling somebody's walk because they're infirmed might be something that would happen because that's a natural, natural thing to do. But typically, I think what I'm hearing you say is that. The overarching focus is providing help, whether you're homeless, you're infirmed, or whatever your needs might be. It sounds like, you know, through each of these parishes, you have the ability to get that help out to, to, the, to the people that are in those communities. Did I get that right? You did, and uh, I think the, the uh, slogan that we operate on is... Uh, no act of charity is foreign to the society. And, right. Uh, you'll see on uh, you'll see on our trucks that say we we, uh, we we feed, we house, we clothe, and we heal. And uh, right. that covers a, quite a few problems. It sure does. And I might just also just let our our listeners know that uh, we are talking. Um, all of you gentlemen are from Los Angeles. And you do have a website, uh, which is svdpla.org. And, and the services and things that we're going to be speaking about for this hour will also go into some details. But I'm certain that if someone's listening in another part of the country, because this is a podcast and people can listen anywhere, they would be able to find their um, counsel regardless of where they're living to perhaps be a volunteer. I think that what's inspiring about what you do is that, you know, for many people that have reached retirement age where they have a lot of extra time as opposed to maybe, you know, that's not to say you don't have ultimate tons of volunteers that are raising families, but for some of our, some of our retirees that are looking for a way to have a, I don't know, a fulfilled life, this seems like a wonderful um, opportunity to be involved as a volunteer. And I think that regardless of where you live, I think that this is, you know, really, really um, important. But you, but it is important for people to realize that this is part of the Catholic Church. So I'm presuming, and I don't know this to be true either, um, are all of your volunteers probably Catholic? Do you have to be Catholic to be a volunteer? Well, you, you what about you, David? Volunteer. Uh, I was just going to turn it back to you, David, in a second. But uh, uh, those who are uh, considered dissentions, who take the training and so forth, are predominantly Catholics. Uh, Got I it. I would uh, turn that over to you, uh, David. Do you have anything to add? Oh, no, that was um, 
That's correct. I mean, we we that doesn't stop us from reaching out with to other religions in terms of collaborating. We have a very strong relationship with the Sioux Chi Foundation, which is the um, St. Vincent de Paul of the Buddhists, and we do a lot of things with them. They had their medical mobile unit out here last week, their vision unit and their dental unit. So we're we're going to work with, um, with most of our members are Catholic, but, you know, we are going to do what we can to reach out with the other religions because, we're again, we're, we believe in the golden rule. Oh, I think that's terrific. And, and it, it, I don't know, I, you know, we, we, we live in some trying times. And I honestly um, leave politics out of my shows deliberately because it can be divisive. But what I find that regardless of where you are, I was just in Alaska last week. And there were, I was sitting with a group of people from Australia. And, you know, you start talking about people, what do you do, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I have a radio show, and, and I'm, I'm in Denali right now, so I'm not doing my show. But next week, I'm having three gentlemen from St. Vincent de Paul. They were absolutely immediately familiar with your organization and uh, are, li- are looking forward to listening in another part of our world because I think, and when you talked about the Buddhists bringing in these, these mobile vans, we as people, we as humans, we have more in common than we don't. And if we're all interested in making life better for everyone, then that gives all of us a purpose. And I think that it sounds to me like that might be one of the essential elements um, of your volunteers. Can you tell me a little bit about your volunteer members, Ray? What, what, tell me a little bit about them. Well, I have to be very candid and say they are the most dedicated people I've uh, encountered in, in my lifetime. Wow. The, main, the main purpose, the overarching purpose of the society, and this is, this is critical and it made a difference to me, the overall purpose is to grow in holiness, become closer to God through our love and service to God's poor. It's not just, well, I'm going to be a, a do-gooder and I'm going to go out and do something to help others. It's a way of advancing our own personal spirituality and our holiness and relationship with God by, by our interaction and volunteerism for the, the homeless and poor in our society. We see them as individually as the person of Christ. We see the, the face of Christ in these people, and we treat them as such. And to me, that, that's the, the thing that has uh, impressed me the most about the people that we have working together in this uh, society, and it's, uh, it's a blessing to be able to be part of it. It certainly is. Chris, we haven't heard from you, and I thought this might be an opportunity. Um, it had been mentioned a little earlier that you do some home visits. Um, could you share a little bit about that and maybe what that includes and some stories regarding your home visits? Sure. So, you know, it's one of the, the hallmarks of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul is the home visit. It's one of the things that sets us apart from other similar charitable organizations such as Salvation Army or Goodwill. So we have, you know, conferences of charity all over the three-county area. I'll give you an example from 
Santa Paula. So the Conference of Charity there runs a wonderful food pantry, and they also do home visits. And Tom and Rosie Lugo, who are two of the Vincentians there, went on a home visit. The family, uh, the father was a farm worker, and he was in between crops at the time. And uh, the mom of the family was an administrative assistant part-time. And they had two little girls who were both developmentally delayed. And they were interested in rental assistance. That's why they'd ask for help because, you know, the father was in between crops. Income was a problem at that time. So when Tom and Rosie went to visit the home, they discovered that the two little girls were sleeping on the floor and that their clothing was being kept in a cardboard box. So in addition to helping out with the rental assistance, Tom and his son went to the thrift store that we had at that time, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul thrift store in Oxnard, and they got two beds and they picked up a dresser that had been donated by Sears and they brought them back to the family and they set up the beds and they put the little girl's clothes in the dresser and the little girls looked up at Tom and said, will you be back at Christmas? Oh. Wow. So that's the sort of wonderful salt of the earth volunteers that we have at the Society mm-hmm. of St. Vincent de Paul. And just, so just imagine now that multiplied by 2,500 volunteers who are going out into the homes of the needy on an almost daily basis in a three-county area. That's, that's wonderful. Have you ever, is this, you know, I know we've got some questions that we want to work through, and I certainly intend to ask them, but I'm always interested in sort of stepping off the road just slightly. So here's a question that maybe one of the three of you could answer. Have you ever experienced where someone that has maybe been the receiver of some of this generosity, you've been around for over 100 years, actually come and then they become one of the volunteers that's now giving back after experiencing the generosity themselves? Has that, have you experienced that? Well, we, we, we actually have a very good example of a, a homeless gentleman uh, that was living on the streets of Los Felix out here, which is a very upscale neighborhood. So all neighborhoods are, have this problem of homelessness. And, and, and we had our, one of our Vincentians there uh, who befriended him and was able to work with him to get to feed him um, and to help him to overcome this homelessness that he was experiencing. And the great story there, and this was covered on local TV stations, was Tom had been and, and he had been collecting money, uh, kind of what we would call panhandling, so to speak, you know, a dollar here, a dollar there. He collected $250 and was able to give that money to our member to help others that were in need. So, you know, we believe that mm-hmm. by giving, you get back. And and that's a perfect example of uh, of someone trying to to give back to the society. And he, he ultimately was uh, – was put into a, a, a home, so to speak, and was cleaned up. And, of course, our members would go and visit him. And, and I'm not quite certain what his status is now, but it was, it was a wonderful, touching story, again, that was showed by the local TV stations here. So, and I think that happens all the time uh, where we have spokespeople that we've helped um, that come back and they want to talk about the experiences that they've had so others can learn the great works that we do. So 
it's it, it, again you you by giving you get back and that happens it all is, the time. Yeah. That's that's very very inspiring. Um, so you had mentioned Chris about you know um, the the folks in Santa Paula really helping out this family. What other kinds of of help can some of these folks um, expect when they have a home visit? Do they do they need help um, grocery shopping? What kinds of things do the do the volunteers do as a result of their home visits? Well, so most home visits, you know, the, the intentions come and they meet with the family. We try to ascertain their needs and see how we can help them. We'll help families with things like food, uh, clothing, rental assistance, utility assistance, other financial assistance. I, I heard a very touching story recently of a, a little old lady who uh, was having trouble with her vision and the Vincentians covered the cost for her to go to a nearby optometrist. And it turned out that she, it wasn't just that she needed new glasses, she was actually going blind. And because mm-hmm. the Vincentians had been willing to pick up the tab to send her to the optometrist, it saved her sight, saved her from going blind. And uh, this was up in Ventura, and she received also new glasses. So, you know, it's kind of one of the neat things about the society that we do so many nice things for folks. One of the things, you know, that people don't know about is that we bury the dead. We have coffins up in the third floor of our facility here in Lincoln Heights. And if you have a loved one, and, and, and there are many people, you know, who fall into this who are in poverty, they can't afford to bury someone they love. If you have a loved one, we will put a coffin on the back of one of our trucks and we'll deliver the coffin to the appropriate funeral home, and then we can help out with the financial expenses to bury someone. So that's that's one of the little Whoa. known things that we do. As someone that has buried her parent, my parents, my husband, I I know what that cost is, and that is. I mean, I know you're not out there saying, you know, we're the best, we're the greatest, and, you know, look at us. I I recognize that. But by all means, just hearing some of the things that you do, it, it's it's really, it is inspiring. And um, it must give you a great deal of satisfaction to know that you're looking into the eyes of people. It's not like some piece of paper and you're just shuffling it you are looking into the eyes of, of people that are really in need and to make that kind of difference as something like a, like a coffin, you know, it's, it's just, just amazing, truly. Um, David, we, we had touched a little bit about the Cardinal Manning Center on Skid Row, and there isn't a day that goes by that we don't read about what's going down, um, not only in Skid Row, but in Santa Ana and many other parts of our, of our cities where um, there is just a, a severe homeless problem. And while we recognize that there are many reasons for homelessness, and I know I can talk about it and I know that you can talk about it, why don't we spend a little bit of time now really talking about what it is. You mentioned there were 65 men. Obviously, there are there are tons more than that that are living on Skid Row. So how do you tell us about the Cardinal Manning Center? I'd like to know more about that. 
Well, I mean, the Cardinal Manning Center, as I, I think we alluded to, is, is down there in what you call the homeless capital of the United States. And I've been going there for years as a volunteer. Some of my first projects here 25 years ago was at the Cardinal Manning Center uh, with my sons. But what I've seen is things have gotten worse down there, and I'm somewhat mm-hmm. appalled when I drive down there during the day and I see the conditions, and, and I think that yeah, this is the United States of America, and, and I think that, yeah, we should be able to do better than that. But the society does its part with these 65 men, formerly homeless men, that may have any number of issues. There may be alcohol issues. There may be drug issues. A lot of the individuals there have mental health issues. And, and we bring them into our fold, and we have case management there that works with them, and we'll work with them up to a year to get them stabilized because you just can't take someone off the street and expect for them to turn their life around within three months. So we will get them into the programs that they need to get into. We will make sure they're into the you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. We'll make sure that they get their driver's license. We'll try to find out, in fact, do they have any type of federal uh, government type of support that is due them? Are they veterans? So we do the things to get them stabilized. And once we get to that point, we have a uh, uh, some people that do housing navigation that go out and try to find the housing for these men. And we've got a very successful rate of finding housing for the men. One of the key things that we do is we continue to work with them once they have found the housing because it's it's, it's, the temptation is strong. The temptation mm-hmm. is strong. So we work with them until they are showing that they're fully stabilized, and then we'll still follow up with them periodically. And, you know, Chris is a great storyteller here, obviously, with the, uh, you know, with the uh, uh, telling you about the real-world experience. But we just recently have a gentleman there that went through our program, uh, one of our volunteers. So this is where we get a crisscross between Vincentian Services and Social Services at Cardinal Manning Center. One of our Vincentian volunteers worked with this one gentleman to get him his high school education, to get him his high school diploma. And he and wow. it wasn't an easy process. They used to meet once a week, and they would meet at the library. And he just recently got his high school diploma, and we have talked to him since then. He is so proud of that accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And now he wants to go to trade tech to get his AA degree and start working towards his BA degree. So this, that's the type of work that we, that we do there at the Cardinal Manning Center to turn people's lives around is systemic, is getting down to the root of the problem, and to do what we need to do to get their lives turned around. We also have a drop-in center where the men on Skid Row can come and get respite during the day. They can come in and use our computer lab. Uh, They can come in and get a meal. They can get some social services help. So it's a a pretty strong program that we have there to, to make a difference. So you talk about 60,000 homeless, and we're helping 65 a year, we're doing our part. But our program works. is very, very successful. I think that's terrific. And I, I know when you start, you mentioned some of the conditions. People are always, you know, curious about how, you know, is it just a bunch of drug addicts on the street? And, and you and I both know that that is not accurate, that indeed that there are a lot of veterans on the street that um, – suffer from PTSD and they're sometimes the hardest to place because of just their fear. They're, they they operate in such a high level of fear. 
um, that that's a real problem as well. And it's, it's exciting to think so as these men have the opportunity to be in the Cardinal Manning Center um, for up to a year, as they rotate out, I'm sure the line is long for, for someone to replace those, those people. And you must have a process for how you do that, right? Yes, we do. We have we have a, a selection process, and we do have people on a waiting list. But you know, just to allude to what you're talking about, we're all we always say we're all just a couple of paychecks away from being homeless. Okay, <laughs> so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not it's not something that's just germane to someone that's got uh, a mental problem or a drug problem or an alcohol problem. Any of us are subject to that. And there's a lot of people right now living on the cusp. Uh, many people that did not recover from the Great Recession, and so they're mm-hmm. living on the cusp, and they got one foot away from from uh, being homeless. And, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna reflect back to the the Ascension Services. A lot of what we do there is what we call homelessness prevention. We're preventing those people that are on the cusp of homelessness from being put on the streets. So a lot of that we're doing with the Ascension Services is is to prevent homelessness. What are some examples of what you would do in that regard to sort of be for on the preventative side? What are some of the things that you can offer people? How do you find out? Well, well, I mean, we have a program um, where we work. We, what we would really like to make it more um, a stronger, a stronger program. We call it Project Independence, where we will work for a family up to a year uh, to get nice. them to provide them some type of financial assistance to meet with them, to help guide them, to keep them from, from, from going homeless. So I'm not going to say that that's a very strong program, but it's a program that yes. has a lot of potential with us. So we are trying to move towards a more systemic process. We have a program uh, in conjunction with the, uh, the congregation of the mission, mission which are the Vincentian priests, called Getting Ahead where it's like a 12-week program where we work with families to get them stabilized to help maybe get the mother a job, maybe get the father some type of support to help with the kids, and they graduate from this program and they move on to to a fruitful life. So we're moving towards this systemic model that allows us Mm -hmm. to make more meaningful impact on people's lives. That's one. Do you I, just like I said? I sometimes I just move over to another subject, so to speak, because this isn't part of what I was going to ask you next. But um, I am pretty familiar with Father Gregory Boyle. Most of us in Los Angeles are. In fact, his sister lives right here in this community. Um, do you do you have any um, overlap with some of the homeboys? Are unable to get them some support through him, or is it just? You know, it's just a big problem, and, you, and every organization doesn't really overlap. I don't, I don't know. Well, we do, we do have overlap. We'd, we'd like to have a stronger overlap. We, we, a couple of years ago, we had some of their um, uh, the children of their clients actually went to our Cardinal Manning Center. Um, mm-hmm. at the, I mean, excuse me, our, 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 our Circle B Ranch Camp up in, uh, in Santa Barbara. So some of the, the kids went there. We're working with them right now. They're trying to set up a a job training program that has to do with recycling electronics, and we're going to be one of their customers, uh, providing them with electronics. and And uh, I think there's a whole there's a whole lot more that we could be doing because the way you are effective at this whole process is through collaboration. The reason why the Cardinal Manning Center is so successful because 
we collaborate with other organizations on Skid Row. So we can't do it by ourselves, but we've sure. got, you know, there are medical, there's dental, there's others, other services that can be provided down there where everyone kind of comes together to help the homeless to get them off the streets. It's all about collaboration. Well, and you mentioned, and I think this is so important because we, we spent some time talking about what you're doing for the men, but as we both know, there are a lot of uh, homeless women and children in Los Angeles as well. So what are some of the services that you are providing for them and that population? Well, we we have, um, we know that when you drive down the streets of L.A., you see the chronically homeless men and women on the streets, and that that's pretty obvious. You see it. Mm-hmm. The bigger problem may be the mother with two children. Okay, the the mother with yeah. two children that you don't see, you don't, and that mother, and they may be staying in a shelter, they may be staying on somebody's uh, living room sofa, they may be living in their car. We talk about homelessness. A home now can be the park bench. It can be. It can be someone's car. So a lot of what we do through Vincentian Services is to help that single mother with children uh, to get that person somewhat stabilized to help pay their rent so that they don't get put on the streets. So, again, that falls back to the homelessness prevention. Uh, we had a situation several years ago that a lady had, had just recently moved from Portland. She had been abused by her boyfriend. The Conference of Charity was able to get her into an apartment, was able to bring her to the store here. Uh, and I, I, I always say it was the one time that I felt like Oprah because we walked into <laughs> the store and said, okay, pick your couch, pick your bed, pick your utensils. Oh. We, we got her everything she needed to get into that apartment. She had just gotten a job at McDonald's. After about a year and a half, she was stabilized and she was able to move on to her own, on, on her own. So that's a good example of what we did to turn it. She was a mother with two kids and her mother. So it was three generations. Wow. That's something. You had mentioned, I think, Chris, you had mentioned this. Maybe it, maybe it was you, David, um, about the homeless um, situation in Ventura. So that is also another place that, that you are making a difference. Are, you, are the needs the same in Ventura, say, as they are in Los Angeles? Uh, I would say it's probably a little different in Ventura than in, in, on Skid Row. It's probably more families, individuals who are sort of different from the Skid Row population. So for many years, the St. Vincent de Paul Society ran the winter shelter in Ventura, and that's something we did on a seasonal basis from December 1st through, I think, March 31st. And what we noticed is that we kept seeing the same people coming through the shelter year after year. So the city of Ventura, cities of Ventura and Oxnard now run that program, and we shifted gears and decided that we wanted to get full-time into providing options for homelessness. So we have the Ventura County Center of that area, and we have housing specialists, and that's all they do is to find housing for individuals and families. So in, in the past mm-hmm. fiscal year, we housed 100 people, uh, getting individuals and families into housing in the Ventura area, which, you know, nationwide there is a shortage of housing. I just read an article last week saying that at the moment it is currently almost impossible for someone making minimum wage to rent a two-bedroom apartment anywhere in the United States. So there are some profound challenges that people are facing to get into housing. Yeah. 
and, and something else that the, the Ventura team will do is if someone has family members uh, elsewhere, uh, they'll set up, you know, transport back to wherever this person is from, get them a bus ticket, make sure that they're well provided for the trip. And, and sometimes that's an option that people prefer. You know, they, they want to get back together with family again, so we'll provide sure. that option too. That's, that's great. Let's spend some time talking about camp. And we can't really talk ab- and we can't really talk about camp and not talk about what happened through lots of areas of Los Angeles County and above us um, this past March. So tell us, um, and I don't care, Ray, Dave, Chris, whoever, um, tell me a little bit about your camp and retreat center and, 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 and what happened with the fire that, that ravaged that area. I would defer that to Ray. <laughs> okay, Ray, Thank you. jump in. Uh, all right. Uh, they, they seem to defer that to me because, uh, believe it or not, I was a camper at St. Vincent de Paul oh, Ranch Camp as a child. And uh, wow. it has a very special place in my heart. Uh, it's been around, uh, was established, I believe, in, in 1947. And uh, it's in its third location. We've been uh, the current one in uh, the, the mountains uh, north of Santa Barbara uh, for about 17 years, as I recall. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's just a wonderful experience for now. It's more the under, underprivileged uh, children that we're serving, uh, both uh, girls and boys. And uh, it just provides them an opportunity to uh, get away from whatever they're experiencing. And, and in many cases, uh, they're coming from uh, broken homes, homes where uh, they're experiencing abuse, uh, foster homes, all kinds of, uh, of young children who are uh, ages, uh, I believe it's 8 to 12, 7 to 12, somewhere in that range. And, and these, mm-hmm. these uh, children are experiencing some rough uh, lives to, to start off their, their uh, living. And, and here they are uh, given an opportunity to go and live in the outdoors, uh, you know, in cabins mm. and uh, have programs that, that do things that they just have never experienced before. Uh, arts and crafts, hiking, swimming, uh, playing in the team sports. I mean, uh, we have a, a great facility there. And uh, we came very close to losing it. Uh, the last summer, uh, coming up on the anniversary here, the July 8th, uh, the fire was called the Whittier Fire, which was... Oh, it's a uh, July. That's uh, right, not March. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it swept through the, the uh, mountains there. And uh, we had uh, camp in session. We had uh, oh boy. Uh, about 80 campers and about 35 to 40 uh, staff as well. The fire surrounded the camp. Uh, we lost uh, two structures, uh, three structures, uh, the uh, crafts shack, the uh, medical nurses uh, station, and uh, most critically, we lost the uh, water treatment plant. So that uh, made mm-hmm. it impossible to continue. But the what, what is most noteworthy here is the dramatic rescue that these kids experienced. Uh, this this fire crossed the the one dirt road 
that's in and out of that camp. And uh, we were very fortunate and blessed. We see the hand of God in this whole rescue operation. Um, they were able to get the, the uh, campers out and, and staff as well uh, because uh, some heroics and uh, very courageous uh, individuals who are first responders who who drove into the camp and, and uh, had to turn around, literally turn around. I saw the, I have a, the dash cam video where the, the, uh, the fellow, the, the fireman driving up his, his truck, he, he said he had to turn around because the fire crossed the right in front of him. And, and uh, he said he, at one point he could, could not even see the hood of his vehicle. And uh, yet he drove through this, uh, hell on earth, so to speak, and, and got yes. to the camp, was able to radio back uh, information that was critical because the cell towers and, and uh, telephone lines were, were, were down as a result of the fire. That was the only means of communication. And uh, they were able to get a tractor, a bulldozer, came up and, and cleared the, the road to get the, uh, the kids out. Uh, they had been uh, housed in the in the dining hall while this was all going on, and they they actually put blankets over the window so that the kids would not be able to see the flames. They were that close. Wow! And, How uh, frightening! They were. It, it was very uh, very scary to say the least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've honored those uh, first responders uh, a couple of times already, and they deserve uh, all the credit to, in the world for their their courage and, and preparedness and, and being able to literally save the lives of these children. So what, what, uh, um, here we are now a year later. Um, I have a feeling you're not opening up camp this summer. Is that accurate? Do you want to give us an update on where you are today? That's uh, accurate. We were hoping to be able to, to uh, get it open for this summer session, but uh, we uh, did some, some uh, repair work and particularly with the water lines coming down and, and found a, another water source. But uh, we had the big rains up uh, in that area uh, in January, as you may recall. Yes. And uh, the, mud, the mud slides uh, came through the camp and, and uh, since there was no watershed there and, and uh, you know, just destroyed the, uh, the work that we had done to get back on our feet. So it was like a double whammy, wasn't it? It was first. Exactly. It was the fire, and and then the the the, the torrential rain and mudslides were right. I don't, just a different kind of devastation, but very devastating as well in that that Absolutely. part of our Southern California. So we're, now we're shooting for uh, next summer. Uh, Terrific. To, to yeah. Great. So it's you, a place, you all. It's a place you, Go ahead. I wanted to say that this is a place where these kids can come and be loved and warmly embraced by our staff. That's something that our staff is trained to do and, and know they're, they're loving people and they, they uh, know that these kids are, are in need of, of uh, a, a warm hug once in a while and, and uh, they don't get that uh, from where they come from. It's a very God-centered uh, approach that we take. Nice. Is your retreat center also in that area, or is it in a different location? It, it is indeed the, the exact same uh, facility. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, it's uh, one of the same. All yeah, right. It's one of the same, and uh, you know we have 
uh, high school retreats, adult uh, retreats, and whatnot that uh, we offer okay. up there. But uh, uh, same same condition. We're we're going to be delaying sure. any operations sort till we get ourselves completely back uh, in order. Right. I had mentioned that you have a website, and for those people that are local, um, they can certainly go to your website if they want to donate, correct, or if they would like to even make a cash contribution or cars or anything like that. They can find all that information out on the website. Is that correct? That is definitely correct. We really uh, want to try to step up our our, uh, car donations program and – as well as anything that uh, any items that they could donate to the thrift store, as well as first cash donations. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to turn cash down for sure. Um, <laughs> what is the what is the future? Who's going to do that? What's the future hold for your council? Where do you see yourself heading? I mean, obviously, you just mentioned that there's an enormous undertaking of of improving and repairing the the, the campgrounds. What other what other things do you guys see for your future? Well, we're, we're working on a three year we're working on a three year plan right now uh, that will get us out to 2021. And really, I, I think the got, the bottom line is to continue serving the same amount of people that we support now, which is 200,000 people a year. So when you, when you net in the whole thing between the Vincentian Services, Conferences of Charity, Cardinal Manning Center, Circle V Ranch Camp, over 200,000 people a year, we want to be more efficient with our process, and that's something we want to flesh out from the strategic plan, where we can help the same amount of people with less amount of investment. And that's something that we're looking at is to become more efficient uh, with the way we do things so we can actually help more people. So we want to go from 200,000 to 250 to 300,000 in this strategic plan. We're working with the Center for Nonprofit Management to help come up with this plan that will help put us on that path. Uh, so we, Wonderful. you know, our, as, as Ray said, our creed is no act of charity is foreign to the society. Uh, we want to continue to take care of that mission and to help as many people as we can. That's great. We're getting close to the end of the show, and I actually have a question that I'd like to ask all three of you that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, but I don't think it will be a difficult question for you to answer. And I think I'll start with you, Chris. And that is, what do you enjoy the most about your job? And I'm going to ask each of you to answer that question. What I enjoy the most about this job is that um, it is – very visceral in response to human needs. So I'm at work in the office one evening. There's a knock on the door. It's a family. They're sleeping in their car. It's Christmas time, and they're cold, and they want to know if they could have some blankets or sleeping bags. And even though it's not really the time of day where we do that sort of thing, the team scrambles and gets them some warm clothing and coats and sleeping bags. And that's a beautiful thing. It's it's a very human need. People are cold and they are provided with, you know, warm clothing and implements to sleep with in their car on a winter night. That's great. What would you say, Ray, to that question? Well, the thing I enjoy most, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a top-down guy from the position I'm in right now as a president of the council, but uh, I, I'm looking at all 
kinds of different programs that we provide that, that we've discussed here today. And it just gives me a, a great sense of joy and, and pride to, to know that we're doing God's work for these people. And uh, it's very, very rewarding from a spiritual standpoint as, as well as a psychological one for me. Yes, wonderful. And Dave? David? Well, I had alluded to the fact that I, I worked for Xerox Corporation, which was a great company to work for, had other mm-hmm. corporate positions. I always talk about the stockholders. Okay, the stockholders and there's the dividends and there's things that you do to help the stockholders to make more money. And in our case here, the stockholders are the poor and the suffering and deprived. And when I get up every morning, and it's not always easy being St. Vincent de Paul, but when I get up in the morning, I am energized to know that when I come in to work, that I am doing, going through a process to help those that are in need. And as, as, as we all say here, there's nothing more rewarding than that. There's not a, a lot of other jobs that you can get that would bring that to you in terms of prefer, uh, professional and career satisfaction. I'm sure that's very true. It, it, I can sense it just by listening to the three of you talk. I think that if there are people that um, belong to their local parishes that don't know about this wherever they live, um, it's, it's certainly uh, probably is something people are familiar with, but it certainly is something for everyone to investigate that would like to be part of this. But for those of us that are not Catholic, that do not worship um, at the Catholic Church, it certainly doesn't prevent any of us from donating and from selecting your organization. I mean, you have those big trucks. They used to be purple. Are they still purple? Back in the old no, days. No, we have a, the- a new white motif now. It's very okay. colorful illustrations on them. But give us a call. Terrific. Call St. Vincent de Paul, and we come yes. for free, the truck, and we'll pick up your donations. I just think it's terrific. And I'm so happy that we've had this opportunity to share your good work with my listeners. Uh, it's, it's been tremendous meeting the three of you. I know we've never met met in person, but you never know where our, where our paths may cross. I, I live just a couple of blocks from Loyola Marymount University. You're probably familiar with that Jesuit college. And mm-hmm. I'm just delighted I'm 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 honored that you were able to all join me today. I, I it's it's been my pleasure truly. And, and thank, thank you, Marcia. Thank God, you, Marcia. God, God bless you. Thank yes, you. Indeed. We're gonna we're gonna listen to a little bit of my outgoing music as I try to figure out how this works, gentlemen. But I do want to thank you once again. And for those for those that may um, want to come back and listen to our show a little bit later, you can certainly go to my website, which is borntotalkradioshow.com. And for you guys, for you to know that as well, there will be an archived link where you don't just have to be on Facebook to listen to my show. You just simply have to go to my website, and there are multiple ways that you can subscribe and listen to my shows because every week I have a whole different set of people talking about the passions that are so important to them. So what's your story continues to move forward in in year three of my radio career, which I didn't decide to do. I must tell you this this wasn't like a planned a, a position for me to be in, but Born to Talk certainly has um, described me most of my life. So I, I want again, once again, <laughs> thank off. Did I hear somebody laugh just then? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness, I can't. <laughs> Who's laughing? Is that you, Ray? 
Yes, it was, but uh, okay, I, I enjoyed well, your uh, self-assessment there very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so very much, and I look forward to another time when we can speak with your updates. Perhaps perhaps we can talk um, once your camp is all up and, and going again and, and hear, hear what's going on for you guys. So you're always welcome great. to rejoin me. Sure, okay, Marcia. So That'd thanks be great. so much. Okay, thank, thank you, Marcia. Chris, for all your coordination. Bye. And, Dave, thanks for all that you do. And now I'm going to play a little bit of my music as I say bye-bye, everybody. Here we go. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Shouldn't shopping be as much fun as summer itself? That's what Macy's Backstage is all about. We've got the finds you can't resist, the brands you love, swimwear, shorts, sandals, everything for outdoor entertaining, pool parties, and more. With new deals arriving every week at prices so low, you never need a coupon. And when you see something, get it, because it's here today, gone tomorrow. That's the excitement of never knowing what you'll find, but always finding something. And just like summer, there's no better feeling. Visit Macy'sBackstage.com for locations.